0: Welcome to episode number 10 of the This Is Nonsense podcast. I am your host, John Templeton. And usually Emma Zia is here with me, but she is a little bit unwell today. She's had a bit of dental work done, so she's resting. However, joining me today is Amin R. How do I pronounce your last name, Amin? Rafi. Amin Rafi. And Amin is, I'm going to read out, I'm going to do two intros. One is going to be my person... the the one that I've been given and the other is going to be my my personal one. So Amin is an advocate of decentralization and peer-to-peer economies, privacy and bottom-up strategies. Specialized in product development and innovation pathways over 10 years of experience as a product manager and designer. NetTexplo Uniseco Award winner, Amin Rafi, a regular speaker at bitcoin and decentralization conferences throughout europe including the uniceco house in paris the european commission in brussels the swiss centre for global dialogue the dutch ministry of economic affairs paralini polis uh, as well as other locations throughout uh, America, and Australia. Amin has been helping share the truth, freedom, and choice that Bitcoin and other decentralized systems have to offer since 2013, working with projects such as Storj, Wirex, Ave, Qtum, Quantum, I'm guessing, and many more. A biohacker consultant, journalist, designer, advisor, and co-founder always looking to push the boundaries of what is possible. So that's the official one. Now, the unofficial one is... <laughs> Amin is a is a friend of mine. He is a he is a guru when it comes to the the digital space, digital privacy, digital security, decentralization, and um I I call him my hacker friend. And I I believe that at one time in his life he worked for the CIA, but I'm not 100% <laughs> sure if that is true. So today we're going to be talking Um, we're going to be talking in detail about preparing for cyber attacks and fortifying your digital privacy. So Amin, welcome to the show.
1: Cheers. Thanks for having me, man.
0: That's my absolute pleasure. Uh, we're going to have a great chat today. So the first thing I know personally, and it wasn't in your bio is you speak at a hackers conference in Brussels and, and you've been, you've been really involved in this space for, for, for a while. How does someone become a hacker?
1: uh i wouldn't call myself a hacker personally i mean we all hack in different ways right so having cryptos is hacking the financial system you can hack your body you can hack life you can hack many different things you know and uh hacking is really just bending the rules and going past like the box within which people usually operate And the event that you named uh, that would be the best event that i have ever been to and organized by paralleling police in czechoslovakia or czech republic and uh, yeah the hackers congress takes place every october and it's been running since 2014 and uh, i've been a speaker at their event uh, since 2015 so i believe seven or eight years uh, continuously and that's where i've learned most of the things i know actually it's it's where you know, people meet up and share ideas on how to obtain freedom, whether it's through the digital methods or, you know, through whatever methods there is. And it's a a place where people come and share knowledge and learn from each other. Mm
0: -hmm. So like the first half of this podcast, I really want to dive into because I don't know anything about digital privacy, cyber attacks. There's all this, these talk at the moment of, of a cyber attack coming. There was that I think Operation Polygon or something so that's definitely what I want to dive into in the first part but what's your what's your what's your story I mean you were born in Iran you're now living in Australia I know you've spent time in Mexico you've traveled the world tell us more about you
1: yeah cheers uh so yeah I was born in Iran I was there till I was nine years old and If you meet people from iran or other regions you'll get a hint of what it's like to live in a environment where freedom is kind of restricted whether it's uh, mentally spiritually uh, or otherwise so there's always this inner desire to want to uh, obtain it whatever way it is so it becomes this inner drive right and it depends on how the person applies it. So for me, it's about seeing what damage you can do to a person, and wanting to go beyond that restriction. So anyway, that's kind of like uh, the impact that kind of environment can have on a person. And then I came to Australia, and that's where I grew up in Sydney. And thereafter, I moved to the Netherlands in 2014 to be involved with the crypto scene and learn about decentralized tools and uh, sharing economy and blockchain and all of these things and yeah I have made my way through Germany Cyprus and saw how decentralization functioned in different countries and it's interesting because you see how each country kind of approaches it and then yeah Mexico uh, Guatemala and then back to Australia and yeah that's that's kind of the foundation uh, that gave me the knowledge that I have
0: were you when you grew up? Were you into computer games, or were you were you like playing sports, or were you shooting uh, yeah. people? Like what what was happening in your childhood?
1: Yeah, uh, so my dad is an engineer, so we actually were the, one of the first families where we lived to have a computer, and uh, it was a Intel Pentium One. I don't know if people remember the Pentium ranges, but it was an Intel Pentium One which was 75 megahertz and to just put that into perspective now we have things that are 3.5 gigahertz so you know it's exponentially is, is, is,
0: that, is like a phone like an iphone is way less
1: oh it will be like it'll be thousands of times more uh, uh, efficient Alfie. your phone yeah oh, wow. yeah yeah 75 megahertz was at that time really impressive it even had like a turbo button that you would press it and it would like cluck it to like i think 90 or something um you know hard drives back then were quite small as well i believe the hard drive we had was maybe like 250 megabytes to you know something like that it was it was quite small um yeah and, and now, you know, the first hard drive that came out that was one gigabyte, we were like, wow. Just to put that into perspective, most phones right now come with 64 or 128 gigabytes. So I'm talking about a hard drive that's 250 megabytes. And these phones that people have are uh, 64,000 or 128,000 megabytes. So it's grown a lot. Um, since those wow. times and and yeah we, we, we were we had a computer and me and my brother always like played on it and try to play games on it and back then you had to use like q basic and i don't Doss. know if you remember yeah yeah like things like that and run commander keen and games like that and <laughs> yeah there were there were very different times you had the floppy drives obviously um yeah it was it was interesting a lot of people didn't have it and it wasn't until we came to australia i finally saw what the internet was And it was, it was very slow. Obviously we had the dialogue where it was, you know, the, everyone knows. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that opened up a whole new world because suddenly you could access content from all around the world. And uh, yeah, that's kind of how my influence began with my father because he was, he he is an engineer and uh, yeah, we had a computer and I was always, always around one. Mm. And did you study
0: like, IT at university or anything like that?
1: No, I did study product engineering, which is a polymath kind of background, which involves a lot of different fields. Uh, it would be like similar to the Renaissance age where people were engineers, mathematicians, scientists, and, you know, a combination of things. Uh, that's what I studied at university, though. No, it was it was just something that I was interested in. I, I used to help my friends put their computers together. They would buy the parts, and then I would go over and put it together for them or um, I was always at someone's house, like fixing something. Um, yeah. You know, they would be like, "Come over for dinner," and but while you're here, just can you check my computer and make sure there's no virus? <laughs> so you know, the, that was my my kind of input into society.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. And so from there, uh, one thing went to and led to another, and you you found yourself in this in the space. So what do you do now? Like, what's your role now?
1: Yeah. So right now, I'm working on uh, Bitopia University. Uh, which is a decentralized education and uh, knowledge platform and it's uh, we are aiming to do to education what bitcoin did to to the financial industry uh, to remove the privatization and uh, of knowledge and the control that institutions have on knowledge and how it is delivered to the end user so a decentralized education you can look at it like the show you have right now you know Uh, you're not controlled by some institution as to what questions these institutions ask, people can come here and learn bottom up. So this would be a bottom up approach, this mm-hmm. entire uh, you know, conversation we're having. And then the top down would be university, which is dictated how it goes through. So uh, yeah, our aim is to decentralize knowledge and uh, incentivize the successful transfer of knowledge through tokens, uh, so tokenizing knowledge in itself. And that's what I'm working on at the moment
0: what are the benefits of that for humanity because it it understanding bitcoin i know the benefits of humanity are we don't have a centralized authority telling us what we can do can't do how much we can transact who we pay we we're free from that we can just be ourselves and interact with people almost like it used to be in the days it's like i could just go to someone and say hey you're an you're a you're a plumber i need some plumbing i'll pay you without the bank without the fees without all of that stuff so i know what bitcoin does but what is, what is the benefits of the, the, the university?
1: Yeah, great question. An analogy in reference to Bitcoin taking us back to the peer-to-peer trading system that is very ancient, you know. Since the era of humans, we found ways to trade value. And what that value was could have been, you know, something that you hunted, maybe a rabbit for some other objects that another person had or... Whatever it was, we've always, yeah, wheat or something, you know. And we've always found ways to trade. And Bitcoin and decentralized currencies are very representative of that. And uh, Bitcoin is actually the first decentralized currency in human history and a successful one, you know. There's no system that's been online uh, for as long as Bitcoin has been without missing a bit, you know. So it's, it's quite incredible when people really look at it. And uh, yeah, to follow suit in terms of Bitcoin and what it did, so essentially it's an engineering flaw, a design flaw that we have in various industries. So if you look at it like a triangle, uh, most industries are top down right? So the financial industry, if there's any issues, the problem comes down to the people which are at the bottom of the you know triangle. And uh, when I'm looking at it from a political aspect or whatever, it's just an engineering flaw would design flaw within the system, which puts systematic risk upon the people that uh, have to carry the weight. So it's not a very well-designed system. So essentially cryptocurrencies changed that, right? So, and, and, it, and it challenged the design of the financial industry and the production of money and all of that. So we've seen the benefits of that. And we've seen how it has threatened, uh, you know, multi-trillion dollar industries that have been around for a very long time. Uh, in the same way, Bitopia, we looked at the education system and uh, we saw that again it's top down, meaning that individuals have to carry the risk of uh, education being delivered from institutions. So if something is wrong with the education they received, if it didn't meet their uh, desire or their, you know what they were seeking, uh, there's no one responsible to carry the burden apart from the person that went through it. So it's not like you can go back to university and be like, which I'm sure 90% of people would. And I know, I know like everyone watching this has had some terrible experience with their education, whether it was, you know, high school or university. Uh, but imagine you could, you could go and be like, oh, I'm not satisfied with this. I want my money back, you know? Um, I'm sure more than half the people that have been to these uh, institutions would. So Bitopia is about reversing that and making it bottom up. It's allowing people to uh, be rewarded for the successful transfer of knowledge. So that's a huge thing in itself that decentralization has allowed to happen, meaning that if you're in the top 15% of the class, you get rewarded from the tuition that you pay to have attended that particular course or class. So in our simulation, let's say a course was $1,000 and you're in the top 15%. Uh, in most cases you get your thousand dollars back in even more uh, positive scenarios not only do you get your thousand back but you can also make two or three times the amount of money that you put in so it actually rewards being accountable for that uh, participation and that has huge effects on the individual because they're no longer walking out in debt uh, they're walking out if anything with money and the ability to structure that as an entrepreneur to turn it into a project and we offer pathways where they can uh, go through incubatorships and support them in reaching the network and actually developing their ideas and becoming entrepreneurs rather than becoming a year in a system Mm -hmm. which the traditional education system uh, does and there's a lot of other incentives for example decentralized library um, having uh, texts and articles and knowledge uh, be submitted from anywhere in the world and uh, the other part is similar to uh, Bitcoin, where you have confirmations, where you have the miners uh, participating in the network, in, in our system, uh, you would have confirmations be turned into verifications, uh, which is like if you have a course, uh, instead of it being accredited by, let's say, Oxford University, why shouldn't it be uh, accredited by some of the top uh, leaders within that organization? So, for example, a course on Ethereum, imagine it being verified by the Ethereum Foundation and things like that so it, it has a lot more weight than a symbol uh you know does. yeah
0: and like from my understanding as well the the i don't call it an education system i call it an indoctrination system is really funded by globalists with a specific agenda to keep people indoctrinated to keep them hey this is what you can teach and you know there's there's billions of bits of information but we just want you to teach this thousand bits of information so we just have a, a a lot of humans that just know this very select piece of knowledge and expertise that doesn't allow them to thrive and doesn't allow them to um really really grow or anything it just it just locks them into a box and 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 for the benefit of the people at the top of the pyramid
1: yeah I mean, to add to that is, I would have to quote someone I met when I was speaking at the European Commission. He was a uh, professor from a university and uh, I believe he was. And uh, one of the comments he said really remained with me, and this was like five years ago uh, in Brussels. And he said, the education system is designed to fragment the mind. So, it does not produce at the end of the uh, procedure or the pathway a whole individual. So, you'll see this often where you have a discussion with an individual and they will say, Well, you know, I only studied accounting, I don't know anything about that that stuff. Um, They are unable, you know, in, in my experience, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, to formulate a response based on their own understanding. And the vision of how society functions is always referred to their, uh, you know, education or something like that. And when you have fragmented individuals, they cannot make whole decisions. And that's quite uh, worrisome because uh, rules can be changed. And you can't have a democracy in a society where individuals are not well-informed.
0: So Mm. it has ramifications. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Let's dive into some cyber attack, cybersecurity. What is a cyber attack? Let's just start there.
1: Yeah. Well, it would be an attack that's uh, primarily an attack on someone that's online. It's an attack on an organization, a business, or personal uh, device. Uh, We have a lot of things we call spywares now, uh, ransomwares. Ransomwares are where uh, Bitcoin is trying to get a bad name because it enables the ability for people to take over on an organization's database or something very valuable to them. And as a ransom, they request a payment, which nowadays typically occurs in uh, Bitcoin or other currencies that are decentralized uh, in exchange for that information back. Uh, so it, it's someone, so someone's,
0: a- someone steals someone's information And then sells it back to them. Exactly, exactly. Gotcha,
1: yeah. So they say, if you don't pay us within the next week, we're gonna publish all your database online.
0: Uh
1: So this recently happened uh, with an Israeli, uh, I believe it's a dating dating app or something like that. Uh, Their entire database was extracted and they were requesting $1 million uh, in Bitcoin. Uh, so that they don't publish it online. And they offered them $250,000 and they said no. And uh, yeah, they didn't go above that. And I believe uh, they published all the uh, users' information online. Wow. So this happens a lot. And in in a lot of cases, it's due to poor uh, security protocols, uh, in most cases, and due to centralization, um, not having your data encrypted. Uh, you know Mm -hmm. so there's yeah so there's human engineering that that goes into this so a lot of people may even have really good security protocols uh the you can always go after one person who's sitting at a pub having a beer working uh with a connection to their organization via their laptop and you know they go to the bathroom you put a usb stick in their computer and you know, there's there's ways around it because people always think these really complex ways of how hackers get in, um, and in most cases, it's the most uh, it's not in most cases, though a lot of cases, it's 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 silly uh, the mistakes that people make that allow someone to enter their premise. It would be like going and buying the most secure security device for your house with lasers, motion detectors, and all of this, and then leaving the back window open. You know, mm-hmm. and being like, no one's going to get in. How did they get in? Did they break through this? And they'll be like, no, you left the back window open. I just came. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know? So, what's globally, what's the, what's like,
0: there's been a lot of talk about cyber attack. And when I think of it, I think the power goes down, internet's down, electricity's down, anything really electrical doesn't function. Is that, like is that a possibility or is is it it, can can that happen or is what i'm trying to say is like can one person do that or would it would there have to be like a flood which you know takes out all the electrical power or can one person like hack into a system press a button and drop like the grid
1: uh there's so many different systems that i can't see that happening As a whole in one go so most of our systems are online and they can be hacked there's no system that's not hackable it's just a matter of figuring out how to get in. So what you're describing on a planetary level would be quite hard to achieve because there's so many different systems and most countries have their own internal network that's detached from the world uh, for security reasons. And then you have like buildings that are detached and, you know, uh, there's a lot of different layers to it. Essentially what could happen uh, is that countries top down shut down their internet access to the civilians uh, or they are infiltrated and from the top down they are shut down. So it's not, it's not that they go and shut it down. It has to be infiltrated from the points of access. So imagine Telstra getting shut down in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, and then you would have that decapitated. And then uh, whatever relies on that service would also go down. So if Telstra goes down, uh, you know, any sort of connection that relies on Telstra would also go down, which could be perhaps some ATM machines, some bus machines. And it would be quite catastrophic. Uh, So you have to look at it as just like the nodes. And if the nodes turn down, which ones are connected to it? Uh, And that's why centralization is quite dangerous because Mm -hmm. you really, once you have uh, a central point of access, you have a central point of failure. uh, And and only that central point needs to be attacked uh, for that entire system to come down. Whereas when you have decentralized models like Bitcoin, uh, to take down the entire network, you need to shut down the entire uh, internet. And now they're working on putting one in, you know putting a satellite up which makes it even harder to shut down and in a decentralized network uh, those that are familiar uh, the difference is that uh, you don't have one point of attack you know it's decentralized meaning that you know we have nodes all around the world and uh, for example sure someone could figure out a way to trick you to get into your personal uh, bitcoin wallet uh, though that doesn't give them access to the entire network Um, And that's a very big difference. So, when we hear of cyber attacks, it's usually in reference to centralized systems. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So, what was Cyber Polygon?
1: Cyber Polygon, I believe, from what I read, is an exercise as to what would happen if there was a global internet shutdown, uh, similar to Event 201, which ran in October 2019. Uh, which simulated what would happen if a corona epi- pandemic occurred. And that one was done by uh, the Johnson Institution or something like that in partnership with the uh, Melinda Gates Foundation. Uh, so that was like, yeah, that's right, thanks. Uh, so yeah, that was event 201 in relation to that. And then this is like a, another simulation as to what would occur. So they run these simulations so they know how to prepare for it. Or at least that's what it says anyway. Uh, and how to kind of uh, have some sort of a contingency plan.
0: Mm, yeah. And so do, do you know the outcome of it? Because I, I was talking to a friend. I was like, if the internet went down, if t- t- I'm like, everybody's screwed. I was like, I'm screwed. Yeah. But even the police are screwed. Because the police say, you know, a lot of their systems are built on on the internet so it's like they can't look things up or whatever um the banks are screwed everyone's screwed so i just couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine like i couldn't imagine anything functioning i think chaos would ensue really 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 quickly
1: well when you're talking about points of security which would be the police which would be the government they would have protocols uh, what would happen if their systems went offline. Uh, so they would have protocols where they would switch to you know, handheld radios um, uh, and they would switch to you know, CV radios and things like that. Uh, they, they have protocols in place as to what happened. happen. The military has the same thing in case they go somewhere and there's like a blackout, how they would uh, you know, have the same thing. But for the civilians, that's quite scary because the average person doesn't have a protocol. Uh, What would that look like? Well, it would mean that you don't have access to money if it's you're talking about, you know, most people nowadays are so used to paying with their, you know, even their watch now. Um, Anyone barely carries any cash with them. And if you wanted cash, I guess you could walk into your bank, uh, though their system wouldn't be connected unless they would have an internal private network that would still be connected. Uh, That would be dependent on how, they run their operation and even then uh yeah it would be interesting to know if you could still get money out and function that way though you're right it would be quite catastrophic uh, most systems we have would go down uh i mean would more than that digital television functions without internet so you'll be okay there unless you have smart tvs and you're working on like netflix and all of that radio radio would be fine those are just yeah radio frequencies they're fine but i wonder
0: if the radio stations do you know what i mean like i'm wondering if there's i get that radio works but would the radio station be like we can't operate because the the bluetooth microphone's not working or or, you know what i mean (laughs) that's probably not even internet either but yeah yeah
1: yeah i mean internet radio exists uh they would they would be switched off the Again, I'm not an expert on this particular field. though most, uh, you know, AM AM would be fine. They, they're old school. FM would be fine. They still work on uh, radio frequencies and all of that. Your biggest worries would be your personal devices. Like your phone would have, just it would be like putting your phone in airplane mode. How much can you get done on airplane mode? Um, that would be a good exercise to figure out in that, in that kind of a scenario, uh, mm. what you have access to. So that's why I'm a big fan of MP3s, you know, they're old school. I have collections of music from, you know, 10 years ago. So, you know, in the event that happens, I'm, I still got music. And that's important for me personally. Um, yeah. I have movies from back in the days, you know, you could have movies on DVDs, Blu-ray, they would still work. Um, entertainment is important in, in those kind of scenarios because, you know, you need to have a way to enjoy yourself still mm, mm.
0: i think it was from my understanding of like grid down scenarios is just a an, an am fm radio with a hand crank so you don't need electricity to like you can just crank it you can get them from um j you crank it and it powers it up and then you've got access to the the radio and i'm sure they'll be broadcasting over the radio <laughs> stay in your home do not <laughs> yeah they do, do, do. they Go. have the
1: emergency broadcasting channel uh that would that would, that would happen it's, it's similar to when you enter a tunnel um it takes over your radio i don't know if you've ex- experienced that mm. if you're listening to radio it just takes over your radio and puts it to a, a certain frequency it's quite weird when you experience that and then yeah it's just like a, for emergency broadcasting channel
0: yeah right But those radios
1: you said are pretty cool i don't have
0: one, but I'm sure. I'm sure they're good. Yeah. So, with all of your with all of your travels around the world, what's the like? What's the craziest things you've seen with 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 hacking or cyber security where you were like, oh wow, that's incredible?
1: Uh, I was going to go to Cuba to see it for myself. I was in Mexico. It's quite easy to get there. I didn't have time. Uh, before the events that are occurring now happened, uh, and I had to come back to Australia. Though in Cuba, for example, uh, most people have what's called a meshing network uh, because most people internet runs on prepaid. Uh, you know, you, you, you know, you buy you go buy a prepaid uh, data access point for your phone, but it's so terrible the connections. Now people have a large. Um, meshing networks so meshing networks if you want to look at it is a network that doesn't rely on the internet it would be similar to how at school uh you know you had your own network or at university you have u- the university's network uh, where you store your files or you use you have your assignments and things like that right and it doesn't rely on the internet or at least it didn't used to i don't know about now uh, so These are private networks that uh, are called like intranet instead of Mm -hmm. internet. We had them
0: uh, them in the army.
1: Yeah, well, there you go. Oh, yeah, you would definitely need it there. So that would be a private uh, network. And workplaces have them. Uh, A lot of these kind of places need to have their own private network. So that's similar to a meshing network in some way. A meshing network is essentially in, in the civilian type of way, where it's not private networks we're talking about, is that you just have like a router, something similar to a router, and you have that in your home and your neighbor has it and they have it and the next person has it, the next person has it. And we create our own network. It doesn't rely on the internet, it's quick because you know we're literally bouncing off each other. We're not going through uh, cables under the ocean and going through you know, all of that, which the internet does. And uh, we create our own network and let's say your neighbor has movies, they put it up so other neighbors can access it and uh, we have a messaging application where we can chat to each other. So it actually creates a very beautiful way where people can connect. And uh, yeah, in Cuba, that's what they, uh, you know, uh, move to in some neighborhoods. And uh, it was kind of cool. It was kind of cool how what happens in a society or a region of that particular country or society where internet is hard to uh, navigate through or the, you know, the, it's controlled or censored or it's just slow and the infrastructure is not very good. So people always find a way to connect with each other. It's like we have this innate desire. So if there's no internet, they created their own networks. And you have these meshing networks uh, within uh, Spain, you have them in Greece, you have them in Argentina, obviously you'll have them all around the world. Uh, but predominantly, those regions are a bit more progressive about them because they have a lot of off-grid communities that uh, form their own uh, networks. Uh, so that would be one example. I would I would say in terms of a something cool and crazy. And uh, yeah, that, that's that's the kind of things you see. And in other regions, things are different. So you know, if in in the in the case that you described as the cyber polygon, uh, each region would be impacted differently, right? So in Mexico, in comparison, for people that are watching this that are in more, let's say, uh, cashless societies or more uh, approaching that kind of a zone, the issue is it's going to be tough because we're so used to it, right? Everything's just connected, and we have our you know calendar synchronizing with our phone, with our laptop, and uh, you know we press a button, Uber brings food, and We're just so used to living in that kind of a system. And it's going to be tough if something goes wrong. And you're not going to have these problems in places like Mexico because more than 50% of the country operates on cash. So most people have cash on them. It's just how things work. Uh the form the best form of exchange is cash. You know, you're talking about taco stands on the street, they don't have an F plus machine. Uh, you know, they literally just grab the cash, you move on. You you barely use your card, really, in Mexico. You always mm. cash out and just have cash on you. Uh, so it's, it's interesting how it would be interesting to kind of simulate that and see how people might think that the countries that have uh, more uh, upgraded infrastructure would be like, oh, we will deal with this better. though I have a feeling they might deal with it worse uh, mm. because of the conditioning, you know. Mm. Do you
0: think that we're heading to a point where, where only privileged people are going to be able to use the internet? And what I mean by that is, with the whole apartheid that's happening with the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, could it get to a point because it is a top-down approach? And my phone, literally, I don't know if it's still there from Telstra at the top. It says hashtag Let's Vax. Right? Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do that. But it says, let's vax. And then I was like, what if they get to a point where it's like, oh, you know, you need to show your, your, your vax status if you want to access the internet. Is that something that maybe is coming and they're going to start shutting people out from online?
1: Are you saying your phone where it says your network name next to it as a hashtag?
0: Correct. And it says, hashtag, let's, it says Telstra, hashtag, let's vax. I mean, that annoys <laughs> me. That annoys me that a telecommunications company is uh, trying to give me some kind of medical advice. Um, I don't get annoyed by much, but it's, it's, that's, if anybody in their right mind is like, that's stupid. It, it should say like, hashtag let's connect.
1: Yeah.
0: You're a communications company. So is there any, if, if that was to happen, is there any way to, because I heard this night, I, I I don't even know how the internet works, right? I heard that if the internet goes down, don't worry, someone will just start another server. So I was like, okay. Well,
1: if it goes down, (laughs) it would take some time for sure. It's not a matter of the next day we're back to normal. First of all, we would go back to the meshing networks that I said. I can't believe your phone is doing that. That's just crazy. I mean... Yeah. Can you set up and- a
0: mission network? Like, why why don't why don't we have one
1: with with
0: some of our friends?
1: You can. Uh, you would still be reliant on using the internet because we're distance apart. So these communities that I refer to, you, uh, they're literally physically uh, in close proximity. Is it cable cable connections? No, no, no. You can still imagine the distance of wi-fi so you'll have it at your house and you'll probably have it up to your driveway maybe on the street a little bit as well let's say you put an antenna so it's not you know the router is not sitting in your house you have an antenna the similar way that we used to have tv antennas uh so then you will get a much you know wider distance uh Mm. and you you know you're covering a larger area and perhaps you could extend your range for let's say three kilometers you know Mm -hmm. so you can you can work on it you can have powerful antennas where it extends it and then your neighbor after two kilometers has another one and you kind of bounce off each other Uh, and you can create a kind of a powerful network though when you're talking about people that are you know 20 30 kilometers away from each other and there's no one in between to pass the connection on it's harder to achieve so these communities that i say they're literally physically close to each other that's why they can do that Otherwise, yeah, yeah you, can, you can create them. It's not a problem. Um, but what you said is very important because uh, let's go based on what we do know. What we do know is the digital ID uh, bill uh, that Australia passed, which requires, I don't know when it's going to take effect or if it's still being challenged. Uh, as it was my understanding that it did pass. It requires that you have 100 points of ID to use Facebook, uh, Instagram, Uh, snapchat these kind of mainstream tinder mainstream apps right and uh, it's done in the name of uh, safeguarding individuals from online bullying or harassment and a similar thing is occurring in the uk where they're also pulling for that kind of a bill and you know there's activists and you know foundations around freedom of expression and privacy kind of alerted by this because then it kind of gets a bit muddy as to what is allowed and what is not and then we're kind of censoring expressions and people's opinions and it kind of slowly bottlenecks a person's ability to kind of express themselves online because how do we determine what was appropriate or the person took it personally Mm. Uh, so anyway so we do know these things that are occurring and we should assume that if it's happening for facebook and tinder that it can be expanded to other areas over time you know similar to what we've seen with the vaccines it was only for people 65 and above and then they said well no we need it 40 above oh no we need it for 30 above 20 above five need it. you know what do it for your babies too let's just do everyone uh so once you kind of open the door to these things, uh, we have to consider where it can lead to. And it's a matter of choice, whether that's kind of a thing that you want around you or not. And yeah, it, it can, it can literally get to a point where you won't be able to access most services uh, without it being attached to your ID.
0: I know in, in Bali and I'm assuming China, there are literally some webs, like in China, you can't access YouTube, right?
1: I don't know about China. I know in Iran, most people can't. So, that's, so they need a, a VPN or a proxy to access it.
0: Yeah. Well, different, like part two of this episode, I want to dive into how to set yourself up so you're so digitally secure. Um, you know, I know you're personally helping me with it now, but so you've got, it's like a digital footprint. So your digital footprint is like, you're you're... You're like a, you're like the predator you're you're just this ninja online yeah. and and it's like, and and you don't feel the constraints um of what you can and can't say because even now, I've been warned, uh, a lot of my friends have been banned and deplatformed on YouTube, you can't say certain things, so it's like, how can we'll dive into that in part two, but um yeah, youtube is is I've learned so much from YouTube. it has expanded my consciousness, it has expanded my knowledge of of health of wealth of relationships my whole life has got better because of youtube and in places like iran you're not allowed it so why is that
1: well why is that yet instagram is allowed so i haven't figured that one out it's not that instagram is somehow more censored or doesn't have access to similar content I haven't fully figured out why instagram is allowed and youtube is not uh but what i do know it is is... google
0: allowed in iran
1: yeah yeah google is allowed you can google search things yeah Uh, okay yeah so most people are on instagram if you want to reach a so it's good for marketing to know those things for business and things uh if you want to reach people in those regions like don't put videos on youtube no one's going to be able to watch it well like a lot of people know proxies and that, but it's just too slow through a proxy. Um, so yeah, most people are reached out through Instagram. That's where people are, and it's interesting. Look, what do they say? There's a, there's a, there's a there was a meme I saw which was, you know, this whole push to get rid of guns, right? And they're trying to make it illegal, and the concept is that it will get rid of uh, criminals and uh, you know unwanted violence and the meme was something along the lines of yeah because that works really well with the with making drugs illegal you know so it doesn't work it's not like you make it illegal it disappears drugs are still there it's not like drug addicts became any less it's not like it's not still being sold on the street it, it, it's just it still continues moving if anything you want to create an environment in which it's allowed so you can kind of monitor it help people uh things like that so i'll give you an example in the netherlands it fascinated me when you have music festivals i'll bring it back to what you asked uh when, when you have a music festival in the netherlands uh you have science uh which is like you know if, if you've taken uh, M- ecstasy or mdma uh, please come and see us. And there's uh, ambulance people all around there to help you. And they're like, we're not here to give you to the police. The police actually does not interfere at all. They make sure you don't freak out. Like they're just there to help you. If anything happens, um, they just pass you on to the ambulance people and they're just literally there to help you. No one's there to arrest you with dogs like standing there, freaking you out, you know? They even have tents where you can take your MDMA or ecstasy and they test it for you to make sure it's clean. Um, you know, so so they- Is it legal? in that they- is it illegal it is illegal but they get they're not in denial do you get what i'm saying oh i love what you're i love what you're putting
0: down right now i mean i knew marijuana in um amsterdam yeah but this is news to me so i'm digging this
1: yeah i mean they don't treat people like idiots or like kids you know like naughty naughty like come with me i'm the police why did you do that it's like Guys, we know it's a festival. It's a music festival. We know more than half of you are going to just be doing it anyway. You know what? Please do it safely. We're here to help you. There's you know, there's there's people around here to just make sure you're okay. Go get a tested. So you don't put garbage in your body. The police are not here to arrest anyone. They're just here in case there's a fight or something. Please don't panic. Like the number one thing is just don't panic. Like stay calm. And I love that. That's first thing. Second thing, they have a TV show where on this TV show, there's a guy and a girl, and every episode, I'll find it, I don't know the name right now, but on every episode, they take a drug. So they're like, today, she's going to eat mushrooms, and I'm going to stay straight. So she'll eat the mushrooms on, on this channel. And she'll talk about what she's feeling. And they'll talk about what's in it, the scientific aspects of it. And what happens if you take it, and you should be careful, because it can be like this. And Next episode, they'll one of them will take MDMA and they'll play music and explain why their eyes are dilating. And they'll be it's like educating people, you know. I've got goosebumps all
0: over me, like this (laughs) is the world I want to live in, where it's your choice. Like you're an adult, but you've got some information where you can make decisions based on like not not control. Control is my enemy. If someone tries to restrict me, it's like not going to end well. So Netherlands, huh? Doing some yeah. Good things.
1: yeah. What's, their, so th- what's their
0: taxes like? I bet they're high.
1: <laughs> it is high. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> you can't have it all. You
1: can have no, your MDMA, you
0: but you've got, you've got to pay us lots of money.
1: Yeah. Um, so they're open like that, you know. You, you, when you travel, you realize that freedom could mean something very different in one country to another, you know. And uh, for me, it was very beautiful to see that kind of approach. I remember the the place I was living in the Netherlands, the girl next door had taken ketamine and she was losing it and she was screaming or whatever. She obviously had personal issues, something had happened in her family or whatever. And the cops came very calmly. Hey, it's okay. We're just here to help you. Like their number one aim was just concern for you, you know, because in the Netherlands, it takes four years to become a police officer. Whereas in oh the US, God. it's like six months or something, you know, like they go through a psych evaluation, they go through a lot of stuff. So when you see them, like when I saw police in the Netherlands, I was like, hey, you know, you actually like, hey, you know, like, you feel safe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're not there to be like proving anything most of the times, anyway. Obviously, you have racist ones, you have, you know, you have these issues around humanity anyway. Um, it's just a general feel. Anyway, the reason I brought this up was, uh, yeah, in relation to education and the way people approach these things and uh, the kind of knowledge that they have on these topics. Um, Hmm. Bring it back to the.
0: I mean, I can't remember their initial question. It was about YouTube and Iran. That's the.
1: Yeah, okay, cool. So, what I'm trying to say is, it's childish and naive to pretend like by making something illegal that it's going to go away it is extremely naive and anyone that believes that should look at historical data and look at the impact the only successful attempts at this was during the chinese empire where opium they they had an opium crisis and uh, literally anyone caught using it was to be killed I mean, that's a very extreme approach. And that cleaned up the situation very quickly. Uh, I mean, and we don't want to get to that point. So what I'm trying to get at is sure you can ban YouTube, people will find ways around it, you know, and they'll share information. So example, in in Iran, because they did that, what happened? People shifted to -to peer-to-peer sharing. So instead of going on YouTube and watching something, I've got a video. I'll send it from WhatsApp to you. You'll send it to someone else. You know a group, you'll post it in the group. Um, similar to what's occurring on Telegram. We have access to a lot of content that we otherwise wouldn't have because it's peer-to-peer. When you have a community of 100,000 people, you know you can have information coming that you wouldn't find in other places. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, that's the very good way. Again, that's bottom-up. Bottom-up is very powerful. So, yeah, that's just kind of in relation to restricting access.
0: Yeah. So, just to round out the first part of this episode, is like, do you have any concerns or fears? I know I've got another friend who you know who's like uber concerned about privacy and security, personal privacy and security. Um, Is it big on your list? Is it something people should be concerned about? Or is it more like, well, only if you're up to no good? Or do you really think? they're are they stealing data are they are is it intrusive are they being intrusive and we just can't see it because it's digital is my camera like on this laptop looking at me is the microphone listening is it like where does what's the reality for people's personal privacy
1: yeah i hear you and i feel you for me i like my privacy and I fear we went from a place where privacy was a normal part of society to the conditioning that took place into making somehow people think that privacy is if you have something to hide. Mm. And I love this noise that people generate through their mouth, uh, which is called speech. And somehow it comes out as If you have nothing to hide, then you shouldn't worry. And I would love to meet these people because, you know, you have to distinguish between what you really mean and you've thought about and you're saying to what you've just kind of heard on TV or somewhere and you're just regurgitating, you know. There's a big difference between reasoning and belief to relaying something you've heard. So I I would love to meet these people and I would be, really interested as to where they got that comment from and whether it was generated based on their own belief and analysis or it was just something they heard and it's very easy to distinguish between the two because you could be like okay can i just come and sit on your couch at home and just watch what you and your family do and i think most people would get uncomfortable a stranger in their house you know um and i would love to see that I would be like okay can I just like walk around while you're walking, you know, doing your day-to-day stuff and just video you? You have nothing to hide, right? So it's all good. I'm just gonna show other people what you're doing. And, and I believe like, if you approach it in that way, there was actually a guy that, I don't know if he was on YouTube, there was a video. He was just going around town, just like standing in front of the bus stop and just videoing people. And people with freak out. They'd be like, go away, what do you want? he would be like, I'm just videoing. It's just public, it's public space. I'm just videoing. And everyone would get so uncomfortable. And then you'll be like, well, you don't care. There's that camera there. Why do you care if I do it? So it's interesting, you know, when you break the kind of spell, um, people really freak out. So for me, privacy is very important. So to bring it back to facts again, over 130 countries have some sort of an agreement or, you know, uh, know, protection for privacy. So in Australia, we have the Privacy Act. Uh, In other countries, they have their own form of uh, privacy acts or you know bills or whatever it is uh, that protects people's privacy it's an important part of society if you don't have privacy well can your landlord if you're renting just rock up to your house at any point no they have to let you know right why is that is it because you're doing something wrong and they just give you time so you're not doing something wrong no they have to out of courtesy not courtesy literally by policy tell you that they're going to come and visit because it's your private home you know if that's the case, why do we sell curtains? Why do we have curtains? Should everyone remove their curtains? This example wouldn't go very well in the Netherlands because no one really has their curtains open. If you walk <laughs> around the street, it's actually interesting. Most of you can look into any house almost. Well, um, yeah, why do we have curtains? You know, uh, we, need, we need privacy because it's a part of a free society. So for me to be able to have privacy means that I can be who I am. When I don't have it, I can't be who I am. Uh, you lose a part of yourself because then you're restricted by what you can do and say. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and over 130 countries have some, some sort of an agreement. It's in, it's part of the international agreement laws. It's part of the UN declaration, and uh, you can't have a free society without uh, without having uh, privacy because you need ideas, ethics, laws. Um, these things to be challenged without prosecution for the individuals that are challenging it because if every individual had to uh you know verify who they are before they challenge something they could be easily targeted right so a good example is you never have privacy in a dictatorship you know you just don't have it Um, whereas free societies or at least what used to be free societies privacy was a big part of it um, so anyone that challenges privacy is challenging the liberty that they have um, and the and the country uh, that they live in um, would negatively be impacted without it.
0: And are the government overstepping, overstepping things? In the Gold Coast here, I've seen so many new cameras go up in the last year and a half. I say this probably on every podcast episode, but there's one that's just been put in right by my house. And it says on it, it says this camera is for data collection purposes it doesn't say this is for safety or security it says data collection so whenever i walk the dogs i like have a hat on and sunglasses i'm like what 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 are they collecting what data are they collecting and i've seen them yeah. these specific ones all over the place there's they've just put a new lot at a roundabout down here and i'm i'm i know that cameras now can pick up facial recognition right we saw facebook probably most people saw it first with facebook it oh, this person's in your photo, tag them. It's like, how do you know? And then we know that cameras can scan car number plates. So everything is just constantly being monitored. Like, where, is, it, is it a concern? Is it something to worry about? Are, are we heading towards like the Chinese social credit system? Um, let's Let's wrap this up in a minute. That's kind of my last question. Then in the next part, which is for just our Patreon members, I want to talk about I know you've helped me with this a lot and our you know and a lot of other people about how you can personally go digital ninja. Um so yeah, last question before we round out is what's happening with is is it is personal safety and security are our freedoms slowly disappearing and what's the what's the consequence of that? What's the end game?
1: Yeah. I mean, that example you gave is fantastic, right? So it reminds me of the boost in mobile speed cameras, speed cameras in general uh, in in Sydney, because that's where I kind of grew up. And I saw that for me to drive for 20 minutes, just 20 minutes to get to my friend's house, there was about four to five different speed cameras or red light cameras as a combination involved in a 20 minute drive. And research came out many years after these things became increasingly more common that they had very little impact on the number of accidents you know so it was a way to just uh increase income and i mean we didn't need the research to tell us that a lot of people already knew this uh though that was the case so in what you said with gold coast i would love to know how has this Positively impacted the civilians who have had to give away their privacy uh, for these tools. I would love that research to come out. You know, at least I would be like, you know, what? I'm losing a bit of privacy. I walk out these cameras anywhere, but my neighborhood has become 50 times more, 50 no, percent more uh, safe. Uh, you know, robbery has decreased. Um, these things. Um, I don't know i don't have that data and that doesn't seem to be a strong point or a desire to focus on that so are we losing our privacy absolutely it doesn't take a lot to figure out and ask your parents hey when i was a kid was my neighborhood more safe or compared to today so we've lost privacy and most parents will tell you from the previous generation we used to just walk around the streets and everyone would be cool and as kids we would run around there's no way i would let my kids run around today uh you know so we have less privacy more issues so there's an imbalance again engineering we're going to re- get rid of like ideologies and stuff yeah engineering we're losing privacy and things are not getting better so then we have other issues uh and that's that's here and i can give you an example when i was living in the netherlands when i would just go to london and you go to london and it was just crazy to me first of all one of the most heavily monitored cities in the world there's cameras everywhere Uh, from the moment you arrive in the airport cameras 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 in the cities shops everywhere right uh it's 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 insane and i was in the netherlands where such thing did not occur So you walk into, suddenly you're in London, everywhere you go, you know, there's little signs. You're being watched, there's cameras, do not steal. And you're like, am I a criminal? Shit, was I going to steal something? Did I, you know, like, thank you for putting the sign, you know, maybe I was, I don't know anymore. Um, (laughs) So you see the difference in approaching of two very different approaches um, and countries that are 30 minutes apart from each other with a flight. You know 45 minutes or something uh and 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 one is like we want you to feel safe don't worry about it we're going to do our job as in terms of security so well that you're not going to even know it's going on and then you have another city which is like we're going to put it everywhere and make everyone feel like they're being watched and that's our approach to it you know so Someone said it really well, the stronger a country is, the less it has to show its forces, right? Mm-hmm. They will do things in silence. So they will have silent operations, their intelligence agencies will work in silence and they'll do their job in silence because the entire purpose of them existing is to have peace among the civilians. So civilians can go about their day-to-day uh, without being impacted or feeling, uh, you know, insecure about their, themselves or their life, unsecure. Uh, so it's interesting. And then you refer to the Chinese, uh, oh, that, that system. Social credit. Yeah. See, I was posting articles about the social credit system of China more than five years ago. It started off on a small scale in some cities. And people would be like, oh, you know, it's just China. And we we have this thing where like, oh, it's just happening over there. And uh, oh, it's just expanding to a few more other cities. And I think by 2023 or something, they want to have the whole country or they may already have the whole country under that system. It's, you go watch some of the videos and it's scary. It's really scary, you know, if you don't put out your rubbish bin on time or uh, you can dub on your neighbors and it determines what kind of visas you're allowed to have. It determines what seats on a plane you can have. Uh, it determines whether you have access to first class or you know, you know not, not first class and where you can go and the, the school that you can get into, the sort of jobs that you can get. Uh, it's not a world that I want to live in and I'm sure it's not a world that many people want to live in. Maybe some people do, whatever. That's okay if they want uh for me it's it's strange to see that be applied and i'm seeing you know during when i used to post articles on it uh some of the leaders from europe went to china to learn about their system some world leaders from australia and other places have gone to see how their systems work so you can already see there was an interest back then
0: as soon as you put into a society good and bad you create separation yeah as soon as you have yeah you you you're going to have separation. Whereas the Netherlands approach is like, it speaks to my heart. It's like you can do what you want. We're just going to educate you on how to do it in a way that keeps you safe and that keeps the person next to you safe. Instead of that's bad, don't do it. Some people will do it anyway, right? You're a criminal. The, the effects of that on people's mental state, emotional state, and, and that really drives all their behavior, creates a sick society. That's probably, yeah. yeah. Look, I won't go into too much detail. And just, just to round out, Personal, what, what are you going to be talking about? A little teaser for part two. What are you going to be talking about when it comes to personal security? Um, just off the top. Yeah,
1: look, uh, there's a lot of ways people can improve the uh, digital security and privacy. And uh, yeah, I, I will touch on apps that you can use, devices that you can use, uh, whether it's for your organization slash business or it's for your personal Uh, use uh, some some great uh, systems out there explain the benefits of them uh, the limitations of the systems people commonly use such as you know gmail and other things like that Uh, just very small changes uh, often not requiring uh, financial uh, you know use uh, to, to have a huge impact just very kind of good key points that i've gathered over the years that people can put into action Mm -hmm. and And i believe benefit a lot of people
0: team thank you for uh thank you for listening all the way through the first part of this episode what we're going to do from here is we're going to take a break we're going to come back with part two if you want to access part two we're going to be talking to amin about uh the different apps the different devices the different methods that you can use to increase your own personal cybersecurity. There is a link below this video to join the Patreon. Like I said, we've got a cool little membership there. Uh super cheap. A coffee a week or or yeah, about a coffee a week will get you access to every single part two video we have ever made. Uh, and that's where we really dive into the nitty-gritty stuff and some of the stuff that we cannot talk about in part one. So thank you. Thank you Armin for part one and we will see you all in part two.